I remember a, um, I remember a few years back, grab tea, uh, being in the bathroom in my house and making use of the, the baby step that we had to help the kids reach the sink and wash their hands. I, um, I took it and I, I stood on it with uh, curiosity. I wanted to experience uh, what it might feel like to be a tall person washing their hands. <laughs> it was quite fun, actually, until I realized that I couldn't actually reach the taps properly. <laughs> My little arms wouldn't reach. <laughs> I, um, I wanted to say that growth happens, really, in all sorts of ways. And the Bible gives us lots of different examples of growth for us to draw upon. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew... Uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed, which a man takes and sows into the ground in his field. It's a very visual picture of growth. And regarding that seed, he says, you know, it's the smallest of seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. When the feeding of the 5,000 happens in Matthew 14, we get another example of growth, a miracle of multiplication. Jesus takes a small portion of five loaves and two fish that are offered to him. He takes it, he blesses it, he multiplies it, causes it to feed everyone who has come to hear his teaching. In Luke 3.52, it's recorded, Jesus increased, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So even in three examples that we take, we see different types of growth at work. And we could go on, you know, whether it's the oil jars and Elijah, or the strength of Samson, or the responsibility or authority of Joseph, or the numbers added to the church on the day the Holy Spirit was given. If we have these things in mind, I think it's helpful to know that as we look across the sweep of Scripture, that subject of growth consistently pops out as a strong theme. Whether that's physical growth or economical growth, emotional growth or growth of influence of authority. And I guess it's something we can we could probably all identify with because actually growth is built into our culture, into our mindset, whether that's the, the lines you know that you mark on the door frame to show how much your children have grown in height over the years or the software that we might use to report profit margins or sale of stock. It's the tasks that we perform under pressure, you know, to show that how we can assess our development, or the training programs that we receive when preparing for things like a sporting event or you know, looking ahead to a career. In my, early, um, in my children's early school years, they were taught to embrace a growth mindset, you know, which shows the school's aspiration to play their part in young people's development. They wanted them to grow. And I think that we could argue from scripture that the reason we carry that culture of growth among us as human beings is because it reflects something of the creator in his creation. And we may display, I think, that desire and approach to growth. We can do that perfectly at times and imperfectly at times. Yet even in its imperfection, it still bears something of the image of our origins. I'm just going to read you. We're still in the introduction, so we're not even anchored in the verse we're at yet. So this is just Genesis 1. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Even in the beginning, out of nothing, God brings something new. He creates an environment for growth to occur. The earth sprouting vegetation plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit. God caused his creation to reproduce after itself, to be fruitful and to multiply and to grow in number and stature. The trajectory for every Christian is growth. And as we give ourselves to learning what it is to be devoted disciples of Jesus, today we're going to look at what it is to be devoted to this area of growth and more specifically what it is to be devoted to spiritual growth. So, good morning everyone. Good morning. My name is Paul. I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. And we're continuing our series looking at what it is to be devoted disciples of Jesus. I will not get tired of reading the reason why we're doing this. Our hearts is to help every individual believer to grow in a greater maturity in their relationship with Jesus, to be a church family who's deeply rooted and standing firm in the goodness of God. So that when storms of life come, and they do, we'll not be swayed to the left or to the right, nor uprooted because we're a church family that is secure in Jesus. So Father, I want to pray that, Lord, you would do us good as your church family and take us again deeper with you this morning. That, Father, we may be deep-rooted in who you are and all that you've done and all that you will do. Our confidence will be drawn from you. Not from ourselves, but you, who we can totally trust and rely upon. And so, Father, would you, Lord, go about the purpose of transforming us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to give our attention to this area of spiritual growth. And I think it's probably helpful, you know, to briefly address probably what spiritual growth even is. And then we'll cover the rest of that ground by looking at classic preacher, three areas. Natural growth, what God does in you. Intentional growth, what you do because of God. And finally, specific growth, sharpening the gifts that God has given you. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read from verses 11 to 15. So Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to On a side note, I really like drinking tea, but it must be nothing worse for people who are editing the recording afterwards just to hear. As I am. Okay, 11 to 15. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God 
to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Jesus gave gifts of people to the church, the church being you and I, in order to help us to grow up in every way. And growing up means to move towards a greater maturity. And becoming more mature really means that we're less inclined to be drawn into and persuaded by things that ultimately do us harm as God's children. God wants us to be safe in this life. In the same way that good parents desire their children to be safe and help them prepare for that life ahead. I'm just going to say now, with that in mind, this is just a season of life Joe and I in. So there's going to be a good dose of parenting analogies coming through. There was a time when my wife and I would not let our children cross the road by themselves. You know, we stayed with them. Yeah, until the time they were able to demonstrate that they could successfully assess the environment, make a good judgment call, and if necessary, if it all goes wrong, have that physical ability to give them every chance to get themselves out of that situation. So maturity is about pressing on in that journey from childhood through to adulthood, learning to navigate life and to cross those roads. However, I think it's important that biblical maturity doesn't seek to take away childlike behavior altogether. In fact, actually, it calls us to hang on to some of those wonderful childlike elements. For example, holding on to a nature that simply trusts, a nature that simply believes God for who he is and what he's able to do. That is, that's a valuable point of growth to God. Sometimes in our adult nature, we can, um, we can try to reason things away that God may ask us to do. Has anyone tried doing that? You know, Jonah does that in the scripture, doesn't he? He tries to reason away. Why, I don't, why are we going to these people? Reason away promises as well that God's made over our lives. Make complex things out of really what are simple truths. Simple truths such as, when God calls, we go. When God promises, he fulfills. When God speaks, he creates. Maturity looks like retaining those um, beautiful childlike elements whilst doing away with childishness. Maturity seeks to attain those adult life skills that are so crucial to helping us make good decisions and judgment calls. The things that help us cross the road. The ability to assess the environment around us. The tools to give ourselves every chance to get out of a bad situation. You know, God doesn't want you to be run over in life. And to capture this area of spiritual growth, spiritual growth is not about looking to develop, uh, oh, spiritual growth is all about looking to develop those kind of non-physical areas that make you, you. That includes your mind, your emotions, your character. 
And all of the areas of growth that you could give, you know, of all the areas of growth that you could give yourself to, spiritual growth is the one. That's the one we're holding up today and saying, that's the most precious and valuable area of growth. This is the one of greatest importance. Why? Mainly because of the difference that Jesus makes. You know, before Jesus came to the earth, a lot of the physical things would feed into spiritual things, whether that's the temple in Jerusalem or the sacrificial practice of Israel, even the commands of God written on tablets of stone. And their purpose was to prepare the ground, but they were just a shadow of better things to come. In Jesus comes the arrival of that substance. He sparks a change in the emphasis where the spiritual becomes front and center and that the spiritual then begins to feed the physical and not the other way around. So the church is not a physical building, but a spiritual house. Sacrifices are made, not physical ones, but of heartfelt surrender and thanksgiving to God. God's commands are no longer written on tablets of stone, but through his spirit, they're written on our hearts. Inevitably, what happens then is that the spiritual feed in, feeds into the physical. What God does with our hearts affects what we do with our hands. But it's important to remember the emphasis change with Jesus means that it starts with our hearts. It overflows from the spiritual. And so that's where we will give our attention to. So we're going to cover that by looking at natural growth, what God does in you, intentional growth, what you do because of God, and finally specific growth, sharpening the gifts that God has given you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, regards to natural growth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, when you make that decision in life to follow Jesus, there is something that God does in that moment with you. He takes all of you that has been entangled with the world, the sinful things that have bound you up, the history, the experience, the decisions, the ideologies, the philosophies, and he buries it. It's like you've died with Christ. But in that death, you are cut loose from the grip of the world and from the chains of that life that bound you. What happens next is something quite powerful. Resurrection. You don't remain in the grave. Like Christ, you are raised from the dead. You are alive to him and free from the power of the things that once entangled you. A new chapter begins. It's the birth of something new. And so we begin this new life in Christ. Like any other natural birth, we start with a childlike status. We cannot feed or, or nurture ourselves. We need help. And although in the beginning we may not be able to stand on our own two feet, the natural trajectory is growth. God has set that in motion. You are not to remain a child. But Ephesians 4.13 says you are to grow until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your biology is to develop. Your physiology will develop. Your character will develop. And God is at the heart of his all. In Christ you become a son or daughter to God. And God is a loving parent, carrying a heart and responsibility for you. He wants to see you well-fed, cared for, exercised, strengthened, constantly learning, 
He wants you to have the joy of close relationship with him and to prepare you for the world in which you live. He will father you and will draw others in alongside of you to help you grow. To help that even gives a personal helper to you in the person of the Holy Spirit, who at the moment of that new birth in Christ dwells in you and journeys with you all the way from infancy through to maturity. That's something that God does. Like any other parent who wants to lovingly invest in their children, God has committed to your growth. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church, he says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same image of one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. It comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. There is a transformation at work in you, a work of growth that is part of God's loving commitment to you. It's a natural growth that comes from being a new creation of Christ. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I'm just like, that should be a really great encouragement to us because we will fail. We'll often fail. We'll fail God, we'll fail ourselves, fail others. God will not fail in his commitment to you and your growth. However, with that mind, if God just wanted to grow things by himself, he wouldn't have commissioned Adam and Eve to tend the garden and steward the earth and to be fruitful and multiply. God is the one who gives the growth, and yet it seems he does so and is content to do so in partnership with his people, in relationship with his creation, which leads us to this kind of area of intentional growth, what you do because of God. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's this kind of like jump out theme that happens across the letters written by the apostles to the early church. And that theme is for the church to press into maturity, to move from infancy through to manhood and womanhood. These guys are actually gonna take a few hits as a church family of persecution and pressure and tragedy. And the apostles' heart is to bring them through to maturity so they won't end up getting uprooted as a result of it. To grow up in every way into Christ. And of course, that is something that God does because he's at the heart of it, but it's also something that we are urged, he urges us to take responsibility for as well. And that's really all about this word called relationship. A relationship where one party is investing is no relationship at all. You've probably heard that phrase, um, well, I don't know, if in my age you've probably heard that phrase, it takes two to tango. All right. <clears throat> the investment of two people makes the dance what it is. If you're a father or your mother, you desire to lovingly invest in that commitment to see your children grow. At least you know that's what we know that's what should happen. I know that's not what always happens, but that's what should happen. And of course, in the early stages of childhood. You know, you're not just taking responsibility for your child, but you're simultaneously showing your child what it is to take responsibility for themselves, which over time 
wait for this one, guys, wait for this one, should amount to a level of loving investment from parent to child and da, 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 from child to parent. That's the dream, isn't it? The investment going both ways. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you made it. Oh. I'm saying it with my kids at the back. Love you. There's your goal. There you go. Totally lost my place now. Now, I guess God willing, (laughs) if that all goes well, you should see that fundamental relationship of parent to child and child to parent. That remains. That fundamental relationship, that stays in place. But the practice of investment of relationship will actually change over time. When you grow as a child through to adulthood, you take more responsibility for yourself and your well-being. You know? Not that your parent doesn't care about those things, but the relationship has changed. Your investment to one another has changed. It's not less or more, it's just different. You can cross the road by yourself now. Well done. Whee! Okay? Therefore, the parent can entrust a different level of responsibility for you. Maybe you can take care of a department of the family business. Maybe you get to take care of responsibility for other, you know, care of your other siblings. It's not to draw, by the way, an exact comparison between our experience of family relationship and the family of God's, because family relationship with God is clearly not exactly the same. It has its differences. But it's pretty close to the mark and something that we can relate to. In that Colossians verse, Paul calls us to walk in him. It's very similar to language we find in Galatians 5. You know, when Paul talks about us as people who live by the Spirit, he tells us to keep in step with the Spirit. It's an intentionality from our part to keep ourselves close to God, close to our parent, our father. Now, if we have been fortunate enough to experience good parenting in our lives, we could probably be sensible enough to acknowledge that as children, we may not have recognized all of the loving investment given to us through our parents. However, as we grow older and we start to reflect and look back and we start to experience life ourselves, I think we begin to have a greater understanding of the love that we have been shown. And again, that generates a level of thankfulness and respect and spills over into the way that we carry our responsibilities. We honour the investment by our parents, by the way that we invest in ourselves and in others. And of course, that then in turn blesses the parents. So this cycle begins. This is the ideology. You know, This is the ideal situation. The cycle begins, a cycle of honour, love and respect that leads to loving investment which leads to growth, which leads to abounding in thanksgiving. And then the cycle starts again because you're thankful, you honor, you love and respect. That leads again to love and respect, you know, and it leads to growth. It just keeps on, bound, keeps on circling around. You know, when you're a child, you can receive a gift from your parent. In that moment, you can be incredibly thankful for what you're for, what, you've been, what you're for, for what you've been given. However, as you get older, as you mature, you can come to realize the greater reality of what it may have cost for that parent to give that gift to you. A relationship where only one party invests is no relationship at all. And if you don't choose to invest, to lovingly commit to growth, you may just find yourself in that camp of discovering, of not discovering, sorry, the richness, the great richness of the family story that you are now part of. 
personal testimony, you know, I, I understood something of the cost of God's gift to me and his son, I think particularly in, his, in my early days of being a Christian. Uh, but I think really, it, you know, it's time and experience and other people of me, you know, learning what it is to walk with him and keep in step with him that has really led me to a greater, richer understanding of what he gave. And that's done nothing to shake me, but has only deepened my roots in God and my respect for him. And I'll just hold my hands up now and say, I'm still learning. I can, but I can say wholeheartedly, you know, alongside this precious declaration of King David in Psalm 103, bless the Lord on my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It starts with a heart intention that should overflow into our hands. So we have natural growth, intentional growth. There's natural growth. God does his part. Intentional growth, we do our part. Let's have a look at specific growth. Sharpening the gifts that God has given you. God's family. Wonderful example of unity and diversity in action. Okay? Take a look around you. I mean, look at how wonderful you are. I'm not being sarcastic there either. You're a beautiful bunch of people, you. And a great example of diversity in the room, okay? We're all a bit odd, aren't we? Okay? God has called us together for purpose, called us to be in his family. And God has given us unique giftings. Unique giftings to individuals for the collective good. That is what it is to be the body of Christ. And just to bring that wonderful tension together regarding what God does and what we can do, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that spiritual gifts, these gifts of faith and wisdom and miracles and prophecy and discernment and many more are given by the Holy Spirit to individuals as he determines. It's something that God does. And yet, two chapters later, Paul calls us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So it's something that God does, but it's also something that we can pursue. And again, I think that's all to do with relationship, you know, this loving commitment from parent to child and child to parent to invest. And the scripture tells us that in Psalm 84:11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold. God does not withhold good things from his people who are walking in him and keeping in step with his spirit. And spiritual gifts are good things. They are good for building up and strengthening the church. So I want to say, I think first and foremost, I want to set an expectation. We should be seeing an abundance of spiritual gifts in action. It's not all about what is delivered from a front on a Sunday morning, but it is really daily putting into action all of that which God has given you. With Sundays being you know, a particularly special opportunity to bring your gifting to build up others. It is also a healthy aspiration to take that gift which God has given you from infancy through to maturity, to sharpen that gift for purpose. 
I don't know about you, I don't know if you can think of some individuals. Speaking generally, generally now, I, I, I have known plenty of people with different types of gifting throughout the years, you know, particularly for me, that's been in sports and music. One of the things, I think one of the greatest things that saddens me within that, that type of area is when the people who have a gift put it on a shelf and leave it to gather dust. You ever know anyone like that? You know, I've known people who have been really promising footballers who are unwilling to put in the work ethic, you know, commit to training, would rather be in a pub with their mates. I've had a similar story with musicians I've worked with and taught with some really promising drummers, guys who had a great deal of God-given tools but didn't really want to do anything more than turn up and play. I'm sad because actually the reason why I'm sad is that I would have loved to see them operating with that gift at its best. I see them and I think, wow, what, you know, what a gift you have. What could that gift be at its best? And my aim is not to point the finger at anyone because I, <laughs> I know myself, I've even shelved things in my life, you know. But that's got to be the heart for every individual here as family, to bring the best out in one another. To delight in seeing a gift being shared at its best. You imagine like prophetic words, you know, that can really forecast future with a crystal clear sharpness that makes you feel like you're seeing that thing in 8K resolution. To see wisdom in operation that help us to build together as a church family smartly. I think about the way that David prepared all the materials his son Solomon would need to build the temple in advance before he even stepped into being king. Psalm 33 tells us to sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. To be known as skillful, you need to hone your craft. The gift needs to be in place, but alongside that comes commitment to practice, to learning, the work ethic, the discipline, and of course, above all, to hold so precious the reason why you're doing it in the first place. Relationship. Relationship with God. And relationships that you have because of him with others. God gave his best and we're called to imitate him and bring our best as well. We desire this whole church family to be an environment. This is our goal. Our heart as an eldership team desires and something we should carry together as a family to be an environment where growth is part of our DNA, where gifting is nurtured and a place where we get to see it practiced at its best. Amen? There's amen. Yes. There was a murmur of amen. amen. That's good. That's good. Thanks, mate. It's good. Thanks, John. Let's be reassured. Reassured. God is lovingly committed to you, to your growth. It's a natural thing. You're a new creation in Christ. You have a heavenly father who desires to parent the heck out of you. But it takes two to tango, and this dance of life with Jesus does not work without your loving investment as well. It's a heart thing that transfers to the things that we think and speak and do. The scripture calls us to walk in him and keep in step with his spirit. And the beauty of this family is that, you know, all that gifting gets to bring to the table. I know Michelle just mentioned the C word earlier, okay? And, you know, as those Christmas plans come together, 
you know, you're thinking ahead. You know, the different members of family, you know, they all, like, they come together. Family's a little bit odd, isn't it? You know, I'm speaking honestly, you know, you know, I've got family here, but, you know, when you gather at Christmas, you know, your uncles and your aunties and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it all goes odd. But do you know what? Everyone brings their kind of like gifting to the table, don't they? Someone takes responsibility for one thing, another person takes responsibility and nothing. It may not be perfect. It sometimes can be quite infuriating, but also it can be quite special because there's something beautiful about people using their gifts to serve and bless others. And we are to strive. If that is just, you know, family life, what is it more to be the family of God who are striving to excel in the gifts that God has given us and not leaving them to gather dust on the shelf? Let's have the worship team. Shall we stand together? Ready to come skillfully lead us. Guys who have honed their craft. No, I don't mean to build you up too much. I just, just, right. So I just want to share a couple of things, really. And actually, we're just going to take opportunity to respond. So we're not going to go straight into, uh, straight into singing and expression our worship just yet. Okay, I just want to kind of lay a few, th- little bit of groundwork. I felt God brought, prompted me with a couple of things as I was preparing. Firstly, I felt like he wanted to reassure us. That's, I think it's always good when God wants to do that. And he's been doing that with me personally over the last couple of weeks, I think. So I wanted to share something in the manner of God's reassurance over us, but I also felt that God would challenge us as well. You know, put the ball in our court and say, I'm committed to doing my part. What about you? What are you going to do about it? So I'm going to start with reassurance from Psalm 69. And I'm counting this as a very precious collection of verses at the moment. Verses 34 to 36. It says, Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. God will save his church, build up his church, and those who love his name. He's also going to give his church an, an endurance that those who come after us, the generations after us, they're going to have something to inherit as well. I think that's very precious. I'm kind of precious specifically for us as a church family across different communities. I love that line, build up the cities of Judah. And I think Verwood and I think Fordingbridge and I think Wimborne and I think Downton. I think God is, is at move building these things up. This is something that he's doing. It's, you know, it's without, you know, our part is added into the mix, but this is something that he is committed to, lovingly committed to. He's going to save He's going to raise up and he's going to cause it to endure to the point that the people who love his name shall dwell in it and generations after shall inherit it. Amen. That's a beautiful thing. I'm so encouraged by that. And that's a reassurance over us as a church family. And I believe God would also say there's a reassurance over you individually. He's saved you. He is going to build you up 
and cause you to endure. There's something about you that's gonna be passed on to others. Others are gonna receive the benefit of you that it may be caused to endure. So that's a reassurance from God as a commitment to your growth. But the challenge alongside is this, what are you gonna do with that? How are you lovingly invested in your relationship? Have you got gifts that you've put on the shelf and left to gather dust? And so here, I'm just gonna share a little picture with you that I had in preparation and then the guys, the guys might have a couple of prophetic words to just deliver out the back of that and then we're gonna give room to that. We're gonna give room to God just to move and then the worship team will will just take us through and lead us through. So I had a picture of um, hot springs um, and so, you know, nice dry ground. And I think the technical term, here we go, hydrothermal explosions. Whoa, that's a good word, yeah. Good t- hydrothermal explosions occur when superheated water that's trapped below the surface of the earth rapidly converts from liquid to steam, violently disrupting the confining of the rock. An explosion happens. An explosion happens. And I believe God is causing, there's there's something in you that's probably been laying underneath the surface for a long time. Maybe you've left it on the shelf to gather dust. God's gonna cause it within you to burst out, to pour out. It's something that really, that you're not gonna have a lot of control over, to be honest. You know, it's something that God is bubbling up within you. It's just gonna happen. Um, And I asked the prophetic team to consider what those, some of those, hot springs might look like for individuals or across the church family. So I'm gonna pray and then I'll hand, these, you know, hand over to the guys and see what God does really. I'm just gonna open the floor and see what God does. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your reassurance over us. Lord God, we thank you, uh, Father, that your loving commitment to us to grow. I pray that, Father, you know, out of our loving investment and our relationship with you, Father, help us to do our part. Help us to do our part. Help us to walk with you and keep in step with your spirit. And I pray, Lord God, help us to sharpen the gifts that you've given us. Help us not to leave them dormant and to the side. But Father, may that even now those things that have been laying under the surface for some time, you know, come out in a way that we can even begin to contain or control ourselves, Lord. You're going to bring it out by the power of your spirit. Thank you for your commitment to build up the cities. Father, to save your church, to build up the cities and to cause it to to be a place of inheritance for those generations after us, Lord. And we trust you, Lord, in your commitment to your church and to the communities we're in. In Jesus' name, amen.